If you want to turn, we're in the book of Psalms. If you want to turn, we're going to be in Psalm 128 um, this morning. Um, it's the second part of actually Psalm 127. I mean, they go together. And I preached Psalm 127, I think about three weeks ago. And I wanted to come back and finish it because they're both about family. Um, when I preached that Psalm 127, it was actually on Father's Day. And on Father's Day, I read some quotes about fathers. And one that was very funny to me uh, was the Jerry Seinfeld. So if you, if you were here, see if you remember this. He said, you can tell what was the best year of your father's life because they seem to freeze that clothing style and write it out. Um, so for, I don't know what it was, but for some reason, 1989 for me was a really significant year because I've been riding these shoes ever since. Um, Actually, I've ventured into some black tinnies now these days. So. But what's so funny, about the reason I bring that up is after I talked about that, Jamie Cooper actually sent me um, a, a photo that's actually very funny related to these shoes. And it's my father's New Balance collection from going out in public to lawn mowing. And I want to tell you, there's a lot of truth in that, okay? There is a lot of truth. The one thing that's missing in that, actually, uh, that I need to correct is that first pair is your racquetball pair. And that's actually what I'm wearing today is my racquetball pair because pair of shoes because you want to keep the surface really clean and not worn when you're on that court. Um, but I totally get that. I, if you ever come watch me mowing in my lawn or gardening, it's in my really old tattered New Balance that I'm wearing. So I thought that was uh, pretty funny. So we are continuing in the Psalms, our series. Again, we're going to be in Psalm 128 today. Um, I'd like you to stand. Um, we're not going to read out loud, but if you would read with me. We're going to be in Psalm 127. I'm reading out of the NIV. If you prefer, um, because you know, in in the times of Jesus and the Old Testament, a lot of times they just sat and heard the scripture. So if you want to hear, feel free to do that. But I'm going to read in Psalm 127, which says, A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. And this is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. So again, we're going to be in Psalm 128 today. When I, we did Psalm 127 a few weeks ago, I mentioned the fact that both of these psalms are actually what are called psalms of wisdom. Um, There's lots of types of psalms. Sarah today in in her reference to Tim Keller referenced several kinds of psalms, but one of the types of psalms are psalms of wisdom that are intent to teach us, their intent is to teach us how to live and how to live well. Um, and I need to say something before we get into this psalm that I think is really important. When you're reading wisdom literature, so if you're reading wisdom psalms, if you're reading Proverbs, actually all the psalms are considered wisdom literature, there's, you, you need to come some, keep something in mind or else you might misunderstand them. 
And when I introduced the Psalms in early June, I actually gave some cautions when we read the Psalms, some things to know. And one of the cautions I gave was this, is that the Psalms do not guarantee a perfectly pleasant life. A lot of times when you read them, it sounds that way. It sounds like a guarantee that if you do this, the perfect outcome will happen. But that's just how wisdom literature works. Again, David, who wrote most of the Psalms, talks a lot about like what sounds like the perfect life, but David did not live the perfect life. We know that. He had so much tur- turmoil and tragedy in his own life. So it's not a guarantee. And this actually fits Proverbs and wisdom literature um, because wisdom literature tends to take a simple cause and effect view of the world. And so kind of the moral um, logic of wisdom literature is this, is if you fear God and do right, you will be successful and prosperous. That if you do evil and reject God, then your life is going to be full of shame and ruin. That's just kind of how, how they work. They're very black and white. But we know that life gets a lot more complicated than that, right? It gets a lot more complicated. So anytime we're reading wisdom literature, we always have to understand that these are not just set in stone guarantees. Because if you read it this way, you're going to set yourself up for disappointment. So for example... In verse 3, it's going to say that the man who fears God and who walks obediently with him, that his wife will flourish like a vine, and that is a prompt, that is a talking about, among other things, fertility and childbearing. But we all know couples who are very godly but are infertile, right? And so if you don't understand this properly, if you think that's a guarantee, then you can get really let down like something must be wrong with me. So that's not the point whenever you're reading wisdom literature. Um, they're not the guarantees that we think... Um, But this doesn't mean there's not truth in this. When you're reading wisdom literature, there is much and great truth. And essentially what wisdom literature is trying to say is God has designed the world and he's built moral laws into the universe. And for the most part, generally, most of the time, if you live with the grain of the way he's designed the world, things will go well. And for the most part, most of the time, if you live against the grain of the universe, things are not going to go well for you. So they're not guarantees, but, but there's really important truth to them. So I just wanted, as we especially got to the part about the wife, that we don't misunderstand that, um, what that's saying. So let's jump into the psalm. Um, you'll see in verse 3, when we get into the psalm, because it does talk about your wife, so this really is directed at fathers and husbands. Um, I think there's a lot of truth in here for all parents, so I think all parents should sit up and take notice. I think there's truth in here for everybody. I can take the truth of this psalm, even if I'm single, and I can apply the main idea of verse 1 and 4, which is the core. I can apply that to my life. So verse 1, it says, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. The word blessed occurs four times in this psalm. It's really important. But I have to point something out. When we hear the word blessed... The way we tend to think of it is like God looks upon somebody and he blesses them and he gives them a gift, and that is the normal word meaning of the word blessed. But what's interesting is in this text is the first times he uses the word blessed, it's not the word barak, which means a blessing from God we normally think of. It's, it's the word asher. Um, how many of you know Schuyler Delmott? His brother's name is Asher. I'm not sure if it comes from this word, but Asher, instead of meaning a gift from God, Asher just means to have true happiness or contentment. That's kind of the meaning, okay? So here it's, it's really saying is that the truly happy and content person is the one who fears the Lord, who walks in obedience to Him. So what is the fear of the Lord? 
Um, if you're new to the Bible, that phrase can sound a little bit scary. I think if you know Jesus, it can a little bit sound scary. Like, what's that about? I think Jerry Bridges in his book, The Joy of Fearing God, I, I like his definition of it. He says that the fear of God is a profound sense of reverential awe toward God. Charles Swindoll defines it this way, a healthy respect and reverence for God stemming from the intimate knowledge of God and resulting in obedience to God, resulting in obedience to God. So it's, it's having an intimate knowledge of God, knowing Him, and because of that, I have this high level of reverence and awe and respect for Him that leads to an obedient life. And I can, I feel like I, can, I understand this really well in relation to God. Um, my father had a great relationship with Him. He was one of the kindest men that I knew. Um, he and I played ball every night. If it was baseball season, we're, we're playing catch with the baseball. If it's football, we're throwing a football. If it's basketball, we're out shooting hoops. Um, I just had such a great relationship with him. I knew him very intimately, and I loved and cared for him. But I also had a very high respect for him, and I held him in this very high sense of awe. It wasn't a fear that he would, like, blow me away kind of thing, but it was this awe that came out of a love and intimately knowing him. And because of that, I didn't want to do anything that would dishonor him or disrespect him in any way. That's kind of the idea behind the concept of the fear of God is that I know him so well and intimately as my father that, that I just hold him esteem and the, I have the right estimation of him. I really like in Swindoll's definition, he adds two things that Bridges doesn't have in his, um, that this really flows out of a knowledge of God, knowing him fully as he is, that I come to know God in his, fully in his greatness and in his goodness in both of those things. And, you know, the only place to really learn about God and really have a knowledge of Him that leads to a fear of God is from His Word. So, challenge you to be in His Word because this is how you develop a fear, a healthy respect of God is from knowing Him through His Word. Um, I've added to Swindoll's definition, I put in brackets, not just knowledge, but to me, intimate knowledge, not just head knowledge, but I'm experiencing Him in my life. I'm not just learning about Him, but I'm experiencing Him. And the other thing I like that Swindoll does is how he adds... um, how he adds that thing that the fear leads to obedience, which is what the psalm says, right? Blessed or content, truly happy are those who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. Um, this is a really good example of parallelism. That first week I talked about the psalms, I said, you're going to find a lot of sentences that it's saying kind of the same thing twice. And a lot of times with parallelism, the second line enhances and further defines the first. So if you really want to know what fearing God is, it's this. It's walking in obedience to him. They're the same thing. To, to walk into obedience is to fear God. They're equivalent to each other. What I love is in Hebrew, it doesn't say so much walking in obedience. It says walking in his ways, and I think that's just so rich. I really love that. In the New Testament, the first Christians were called the followers of Jesus' way. So this idea of walking in his ways I think is really significant. So to fear God is to walk into his, in his ways, and to walk in his ways is to fear him. They, to me... I mean, and to this psalm, they go hand in hand. So that verse, verse 1, is the key to this whole psalm. And at the end, I want to come back to it and try to, try to apply it a little bit. Um, we know it's the key because essentially the truth of it's repeated in verse 4. It's repeated again in verse 4. And verse 1 is, here's what he's simply saying. That those who are blessed, especially parents, but especially dads, the ones who are truly content, truly happy, are those who put God first in their life, who put God first in their life. 
And we're going to come back to that towards the end. But then what verses 2 and 3 do, the next three statements that we're going to see, they spell out three specific reasons why the husband, the father, who walks with God, who fears him, who's obedient to him, why he is content and truly happy. So three things flow out of that. Before I get into three things, the three things, I want to say one thing about one word. You will see in verse 2 the word prosperity, the word prosperity. It appears again in verse 5, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, Probably not the best word because when I think of prosperity, I think of wealth and affluence. I think in our culture, when somebody's prosperous, that's what we think. The word in the, Greek, in the Hebrew is just the word tov, which just means good, or for things to be well. It's used in Genesis 1. Every day when God creates, He looked at it and He said, man, that is tov. That's good, right? And so that's really, instead of prosperity, to me, it's like, it's, it's like Him saying, this is what the truly good life is. So as we read that word prosperity, that's kind of what's going on with that. So three specific reasons the man who fears the Lord will be truly happy and content. Verse 2 is the first one. It says, you will eat the fruit of your labor, blessings or asher, happiness, contentment, and prosperity or tov, the good life will be yours. In the Bible, to eat the fruit of one's labor simply meant you get to enjoy the results of your work. Um, The Bible is very strong on work and on hard work and that we are to work. And that God's intent is that I get to enjoy the fruit of my labor. I get to enjoy the results of my work. And that's part of what living the good life is. Um, So that's God's intent is that I work hard, that I be able to enjoy the fruit of my labor. The second verse 3 is more important to me, verse 3, where he says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. A fruitful vine within your house. This is referring to grapevines, which are common all over Israel. There's the grapevine, all over Israel. And grapevines and grapes to them had carried like three important ideas to Jewish people. Number one, it had the idea of fruitfulness, or I would say of procreativity, of bearing children. So that's part of what he says is that your wife will bear you children. Again, this is wisdom literature, so it's not a guarantee. It's how things generally will happen, okay? But it also, this idea of the vine and the fruitfulness also carries the idea of productivity, of somebody who works hard and then they bring the results and the benefits of their hard work to the benefit of the family. And we see this in Proverbs 31 where it talks about the kind of godly wife is a woman who actually works hard and brings her benefits, her fruit, into the family. And the third thing this meant to Jewish people, this, these grapevines and grapes, it meant not only procreativity and productivity, it also meant festivity. Uh, we see it in Judges 9 and Psalm 104 where this whole idea, it carries the idea of joy and gladness. And so that if a man, a godly man will lead a family where he has a, a godly wife and among other things, she will bring into that family a sense of not just procreativity and productivity, but she'll bring joy and gladness that it will be a home of enjoyment. Um, I really love that idea. I think this verse 3 to me is so interesting Because there's a group of us guys, there's 22 of us who are going through the book, The Four Pillars of a Man's Heart this summer. So if you're here going through that book, do you remember like the first two or three weeks, I think, a couple of weeks at least, he talked in there about that when a man is the kind of king that God intends over his home, that he will actually bring out the beauty of his wife when he leads the way God desires, that his wife will flourish and will become actually more beautiful. So a lot of us guys have been challenged. To, to make sure that I'm leading well so that my wife will shine 
And I really feel like that's kind of what verse 3 is about, that the man who fears the Lord and walks in his ways, that his wife will be fruitful, that he'll bring out the beauty that is kind of resonant within her. And the third reason, then, that the man who fears the Lord is truly happy and content is the second half of verse 3, where it says, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Olive shoots around your table. Olives are really interesting. If you've been to Israel, olives are not cultivated um, by planting seeds for them to grow. Um, Olive trees actually grow from shoots that grow from the base of really old olive trees. And then they'll take those shoots and they'll transplant them um, a few feet away to grow a new olive tree. And it takes a lot of nurture and a lot of work to get that done. Um, So I really love this imagery of this is what your children are like around your table. They're becoming like shoots. And here's why I love the idea. Because anytime you're talking about gardening or farming or anything with plants, you're talking about tending and nurturing something so that it grows, right? Um, In Ephesians 6.4, Paul gives the command. He says, nurture your children. That's the command. Nurture your children. And you do this by training and teaching them in the Lord. So nurture your children by training and teaching in the Lord. So what I think is really cool, to me, these two psalms fit Ephesians 6.4. Do you remember when Psalm 127, we just read it. It compares children to arrows. And if you were here a few weeks ago, I talked about what an arrow is, is it is something that I am launching to an intended target. There's somewhere that I'm wanting to go, and a trained warrior is working hard to get an arrow to go where it wants, he wants it to go. And so that Sunday, I talked a lot about in your parenting to any parent, but dads, you've got to have intentionality. You've got to know where you want your kids to be, to be, that you want your children to grow up loving the Lord their God with all their heart, their, stroll, their soul, their strength, and their mind, and that you're doing things to launch them in that direction. So there's things I do with intentionality. I love this psalm because the image isn't the arrow, but it's rather an olive shoot. It's something that must be nurtured and tended with patience and care for it to grow. And so to me, this is the nurturing side of parenting. Um, Psalm 114.12 says this, our sons and their youth will be like well-nurtured plants. So again, it's a picture of a gardener with tender, loving care and patience trying to bring, trying to help new life to grow well. Um, So I want to say something for a minute about this. When I talked about shame and parenting on Mother's Day, sorry about that, mothers, but um, I said something that day that to me is really significant, that the older I got in my parenting, the more I realized both of these tasks are important. They're both important. I need, as a dad, I needed to be intentional in trying to form my children in the way of Jesus. I needed to treat them like arrows. But as a dad, I also need to be nurturing them. And I want to tell you, that I really am convinced that of those, we got to do both, but of the two, the most important is the nurturing one. That yes, be concerned about the kind of child they're becoming and you want them to be obedient to rules and all of that, but more important than the rules is the relationship. Because if all you do is you're trying to treat them like arrows, but if you don't nurture them like, like an olive shoot, then by the time they're teens, you're going to lose them. And once you lose them relationally, when you lose the influence, when, you, when they feel like they're not sure you really care about their heart as much as you care about their outward obedience or something, when you lose them at that way, you lose your influence and your ability to impact their life. So you want to do both of these things, but I really want to challenge all the parents. Work really hard on capturing their heart and their soul and that everything you do, that, the, that you're keeping the relationship is the most important thing and you're nurturing them. And then verse 4, which wraps this whole section up. Yes, 
This will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. That word yes is probably in the King James, frequently translated behold. It's, it's important. It's in Psalm 127. It's a word in Hebrew that's like, this is really important. Like, pay attention. Listen up. This is deep, solid truth. So what he's saying is, is everything I've said is solid truth. This will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. For the man who fears the Lord. And here we have for the first time the word blessed in Hebrew, barak, the way we think of it. And he's saying here, before it was blessed, like truly happy and content, but now he's like, God will give blessings. He will give the gift, these gifts to the person who fears the Lord. And then comes the final benediction. It's in verses 5 and 6. Where interestingly, he shifts from talking about the household to talking about Jerusalem and the nation. And so he begins with a prayer for national blessing. May the Lord bless, may God gift, may he bless you from Zion, which is another word for Jerusalem. May you see the prosperity, again it's that word tov, may you see the well-being of Jerusalem all the days of your life, the goodness of Jerusalem all the days of your life. I love this shift to the national because I think inherent in the psalm is he's commenting on the importance of the godly father to the godly family to the godly nation, the importance of that, right? I mean, are we not seeing that again in our culture with the collapse of the family, the collapse of the nation? And so he's emphasizing that the godly father, what he does will radiate not to his household, but it will radiate and bring blessing upon a whole nation. And then he prays for a rich legacy in verse 6. May you live to see your children's children. And then he finishes that prayer asking peace, the shalom of God, be on Israel. Uh, I have a sense whoever wrote this was a grandfather. I love how he, that final flourish, he ends by speaking of the blessings of grandchildren because they truly are. Who here is a, I'm a grandparent? I'm curious. How many of you have grandchildren? I mean, you know this, right, in your gut, the blessing of grandchildren. Um, I've experienced the blessing of being a grandchild. Um, my parents were the only of their family. Everybody stayed in the Dallas-Fort Worth area except my parents who moved up to Kansas. And we would go down there once a year. So once a year I got to see my grandparents. And, I mean, I loved them, especially my grandmothers for whatever reason. My granddads were both pretty tough guys. We kind of, you know, you talk about the fear of the Lord. This was the bad kind of fear, the fear of the granddads. Like, man, we didn't want to cross granddad in any way. But my grandmother's, my mom's mother, was this joy-filled, fun lady. I just loved being around her and her presence, kind of that joy of that festivity of the grapevine, like she brought that into our lives. And my dad's mother was just this kind, even-killed woman, but she was a woman with a deep, profound faith. Anytime we went to Texas, we would always end up going to church with her. She taught Sunday school till almost the day that she died. And even though my father kind of left all that, but she had this rich faith, and that was actually an important example to me. I found out later on how much that impacted me. Um, so they made life sweeter, but now I get to experience the blessing of having grandchildren. And I want to tell you, there is nothing like it in the world. So I love that he ends with this, that flourish about that. So what I love about this psalm is, do you see the ripple effect that um, the ripple effect that a godly man has, that what he does, a godly man who fears God, who walks in his ways, 
It influences everything he does. The, the tasks that he's putting his, his hands to are more likely to flourish. His wife will flourish. His children will flourish. He'll have an impact on the community and the nation for good. They will flourish. And he's going to leave a legacy of his grandchildren flourishing. It's like a stone thrown into a pond. I love this, that a man who is godly, the, impact, the ripple impact that that has is really huge. Let me share, before I wrap up, one more cool thing about this psalm. Um, the superscript. I had told you when I introduced the psalms, I said, don't ignore those because they're actually important. And the superscript, again, says a song of ascents or a song of ascent. And Psalm 20, 127 is a psalm of ascent. And I talked about these songs were sung as they ascended up to Jerusalem three times a year for, fe- for the festivals, the national festivals. And so anytime they're going up as a group to, to Jerusalem, they are singing Psalm 127 and 128. And I was like thinking, now why in the world are you singing songs about family when you're going to Jerusalem for a festival? And I think it's actually really profound. I think the reason they sang family songs when they're going up to Jerusalem was to reinforce the importance of the believing community in raising a godly family. I mean, imagine this. All of Nazareth, they'd get together, and as a group, they would be on the road going to Jerusalem. And as they went, people from other communities would be joining them to where they would have um, hundreds of thousands of people on the road to Jerusalem. And as they're going, they're singing these songs, and they're singing two, two family songs. And here's why I think that's so important. Um, Hillary Clinton's application of the African proverb was totally wrong because she was applying it to government. But there's deep truth in it when that African proverb says that it takes a community to raise a child. Do you know that it takes more than just you and your wife to raise a child? That it takes the community of faith? And I think that's why they sang these family songs with thousands of people they knew, you know, with the whole village of Nazareth around them, is because part of raising a healthy family is not just me being a godly man, but I have got to have my children in the context of a larger community. And that's why this place is so significant, so significant. Like just showing up here occasionally just as an option with your family, I want to tell you that's not a biblical idea at all, that this community is so important in raising children. Um, they need the experience of having connections with other people than you in here. Do you know that? Like when your kids become teens, they've got to know other people who are older because when they don't listen to you, that they're hearing similar messages from people who are saying the same thing. Um, they need to have those experiences that they pe- know people who are, who are much older than them and the different generations, different so- socioeconomic backgrounds. Even they're helping serve younger children, and it's all in the context of Jesus. That is so important in their spiritual formation. And that's why I think this psalm is so cool, um, because that's why it was sung in community. Derek Kidner, who's my favorite commentator on the psalms, says that this psalm, um, here's what this psalm says to us. He says, our piety can be too individualistic and a family too self-contained. This psalm takes care of both of those dangers by reminding us of the necessity of the community of faith in raising our children. And so dads, I just want to challenge the dads that are here, okay? And I'm not saying this like this a checkbox, like checkbox spirituality. Oh, God will like me if I do this and this and this. Not that at all. Dads, I want you to know your children need this place. They need to be in this, not this place. They need this community. They need to be around it. They need to be fully involved in it. 
and just showing up occasionally when you feel like it and you sit and you fill a seat and you leave, that is not going to help you if you're trying to raise children who love God and pursue him. They desperately need this community. So I just want to challenge you as dads, make sure that this place, this people is a priority to you. So let me wrap up by taking these two psalms together. Because taken together, they teach two crucial things. Two crucial things. Psalm 127 that we need as dads to be utterly depending upon God. And Psalm 128 is dads, I need to be faithfully walking with God. To me, those are like two foundational building blocks in parenting. It's for moms and dads both, but for dads especially. The Lord's involvement in your life and your family is essential. It's essential. He's got to be at the center of it all. I'm not going to do a whole lot with Psalm 127 because I did this a few weeks back, but if you weren't here, and it, we don't, it doesn't hurt to be reminded, I mean, do you not sense it, dads? We must be utterly dependent on God, totally dependent on Him to have the work in my child's soul because I can't get to their soul, but He can. I can love and nurture them. I can train and aim them, but He's got to be the one that's at work in their heart. That's why Psalm 127 one says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. True success in parenting and in raising a family comes from him, not from my skill. Doesn't mean I'm not skillful as a warrior with an arrow and as somebody who's working with olive trees. Doesn't mean I'm not doing things, but it, the success of that depends on him. I have got to continually be acknowledging my inability, which I think a lot of parents do, because don't you feel like you're flying a plane while building it? And don't you daily feel like I have no clue how, what I'm doing half the time? So we have to be constantly acknowledging my inability and leaning into God for his strength and his wisdom and like leaning on his ability to be the one to form our children the way they need to be formed. And that Sunday when I talked about that, I really challenged parents, but I'm gonna challenge again dads. This has got to be an irregularly daily fervent prayer. Dads, you ought to be, so to speak, on your knees daily for your children. The most important work you'll have in your children's life is that time you spend talking to God, asking Him to form in them the things that you want to see in them. And I had offered that week the prayer calendar, and it's back there again. If you weren't here and didn't get it, or if you were here and didn't get it, um, this is something I've prayed over our children for a long time that I put together. For 31 days, I've just got different qualities that I wanted to see in them. And so every day, you know, on the first, on the second, I'm praying and asking God, I need you to form these things in my children. And on the back, I had 31 days of scripture. And each day I'm praying a scripture over them of something that the Bible talks about to be in my children. Um, at the bottom, on the back, I actually have these four columns with everybody in my family that, to ask the question, like, what are your hopes and dreams? What are you, what are you excited about these days? And I'd write those things down. Still do this. Um, and then the second one, what are you worried about? What are your concerns? What, what are you kind of fearful about these days? So I'd write that down. How can I be praying for you? I mean, that kind of came out of that. And the last one was, how can I serve you? The older I get, there's less I can do. Um, but that keeps me up to date on where my family and my children are and where their hearts are. And this is just my way of daily praying and laying them before God because I'm utterly dependent on him. All of us are as dads. I didn't mention this that Sunday. There's a really good book on prayer called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. And I like the way he prays for his family. He's made an index card 
with the names of all of his family, including his children. So this happens to be his daughter, Kimberly. And what, as he and his wife have talked about her and thought about her and looked at her, they've chosen scripture that specifically match qualities they really want to see God develop in their children. So you can see on here that they're praying for self-control for her and obedience. <laughs> Must be the tough child. <laughs> I'm surprised like she let them, I think they're adult children now, that she even let them put this in the book. But patience I see, they're praying out of Ephesians. Public manners down here. She must have been the kind of rude one, I don't know. Um, but not only that, they're, they're just praying um, some specifics for her, like she wants a horse, so they're praying for a horse and a job. So she was looking for a job at this time in her life. Um, but I love this idea, how with each child they had developed an index card, and so what he did is just every day he would, he would pray for his children like I do through the sheep, but then he would take one card and give f- special focus on that child that day, and then he'd put it at the bottom of the pile, and the next day it was the next child. So I just throw that out as a, as a thought for you dads as a way to pray for your children daily. And then finally, second, um, Psalm 128 is we as parents, but especially as dads, we have to faithfully walk with God. Psalm 128, one, blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. Guys, the classic text on this is Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 7, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Dads, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today, they have to be on your heart. You have to impress them here, then impress them on your children. I want to tell you, one of the least effective ways to parent is to try to put spiritual truth into your children like this when it's not a part of who you are. So what it has to be is, is I'm taking the Word of God and I'm doing this, and I'm impressing it on my heart. And then from my heart, I'm impressing on them. Do you see the difference between the two? So, Dad, you've got to be walking with God. You've got to make this thing real for you. And if you make it real for you and put it here, then you're able to get it out there. And children can see the difference. Because Christianity is better caught than it's taught. And you can't take a person to a place that you've never been. So, Dads, I really want to challenge you to to really be walking with God to be daily growing in your knowledge of him, intellectually, experientially. You're spending time in the word. You're talking to him in prayer. Again, not as a checkbox spirituality, but just longing and wanting to know him because if you do that, it will flow out of you into your children. That's why this psalm is so important. And, And I know it. Trust me. I've been there. I'm still there. You get involved in the day-to-day grind of life, of coming home to young kids, and you can get so busy that it's easy to let your walk with God be the thing that falls off of first, right? So I just want to challenge you to not let that happen, to really press into Him. So to the dads, I really want you to leave today challenged in your walk for God, okay? It's so crucial to your parenting. For the dads, Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart because everything in your life flows from this. Jesus in in Matthew 6.33 says, dads, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all the other things you need, all the parenting stuff, that will be given to you as well. Or Jesus in John 15.5, dads, he would say, I'm the vine, you're the branches. 
If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. But listen, without me, you can do nothing. And the things of dads we so desperately need, especially in nurturing our children, it's the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the meekness, the gentleness, the the faithfulness, the self-control, all of that has to come from Him. And so lean into God, abide in Him, let the Spirit live through you, and then you'll be the best kind of parent that you can be. So, if you want to be the kind of parent that God wants you to be, to me, these are the two things that are so foundational. That utter dependence upon Him and that faithfully walking with Him. So, a few questions to wrap up. This is for all the parents. It's for all of us. Because I think the truth of this psalm applies to all of my life. But, dads, if you don't mind, because this psalm really is addressed to dads, I really want to know, how are you doing in your walk with God? How are you doing? Are you daily and intentionally in the word, not as a spiritual checkbox, but to know him so that as you know him, you will fear him, and as you fear him, you will walk in his ways and obey him? Are you intentionally leaning into him in that relationship? Are you walking in his ways? Are you intentionally leading your family in his ways? Kylie, you can come out. We're going to sing a song to wrap up. For the dads, I mean, we're, I've been there, the ups and downs. It's never too late. You can start today. That was Psalm 126 about a month ago. God is the God of second chances. Um, I really challenge you that if, as a dad, if you're really not walking with him, it's so crucial. Your children's, their future is so dependent upon it. Your wife's flourishing is dependent upon it, okay? Not totally, but I mean, that's such an important part. So I really want to challenge you, if you're not doing that, to find a guy in this church who's a dad or just find a guy that you're close to and be like, I need, to, to, I need help with my walk. I need some accountability. Can we meet once a week? Can we read through scripture like some of us in the church right now are in Genesis? I'm going to do a chapter of Genesis a day. I'm going to go through that. And I, I want you to help me be accountable in my walk with God because I know it's so important. So living in total and complete, utter prayerful dependence on him, faithfully walking with him, because unless the Lord builds the house, he who builds it labors in vain. Okay? So would you stand with me? We want to uh, close in worship. We're going to sing the blessing song again. And I love the song because the themes of the song are in this psalm, right? That word blessing four times, and we're going to sing about to their children and their children. And a psalm talks about, may you see your children's children. So we all long for the blessing of God in our families, don't we? So can we sing that song like that cry of our heart, like, Lord, would you bless, bless us and bless our families? So, Kylie. Lord, bless you and keep you Make his face shine upon and be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face toward you and give you
favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and the children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you he's with you he's with you in the morning in the evening and you're coming and you're going and you're weeping and rejoicing he's for you 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 pray with me. So Father, we want to take this psalm seriously. We want to be uh, these, the kind of family we want to have, Lord. And I know even in the hearts of all of us who are fathers and dads, Lord, we may not feel that great at it or we may not feel what we're doing, but we have this deep desire, I think, for our children to come to know you and to follow you. And so I pray that you would make us as dads, as parents, but especially us as dads, as people who walk with you, who walk in your ways, who fear you, who know you intimately, who are being transformed by you so that we can take your word and who you are and it's not only impressed on us, but we can impress it upon our children so that everything we do, May, may flourish, that our wives would flourish, that our children would flourish, that our community would flourish, that our nation would flourish, that our grandchildren would flourish. Lord, I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, dads, I want to tell you, your wives are dying for husbands who will take spiritual leadership in the home. Trust me, they're longing for it. And your kids, even though they can't say it with their mouths, they're longing for a dad who will show them the way of life. There's life. So let's live into this truth. Can we do that? Amen? Can we do that? Let's do that, dads. So, 12th, you are sent. <laughs> 